Hello, and welcome to Water, Water Everywhere, the 27th episode in the Crossing Thin Ice podcast series, brought to you by Actuarial Risk Management. This is Dave Ingram, and I'm joined today, as always, by Max Rudolph. Today, we consider the two-sided risks from water. Max will talk us through the perils of too much water and of too little. Both extremes are becoming more and more common due to the increasing global temperatures. These problems will have an impact on insurers, but also insurers can play a part in encouraging mitigations. By the way, nothing in today's podcast is intended to be investment advice. We are here to provide educational material. We hope that you can also take advantage of our free newsletter and webcast for additional education on risk management topics. And you might notice that we have renamed our newsletter and webcast to bring them all under the Crossing Thin Ice banner. Now, to you, Max. Let's get started. Private and public insurers increasingly are dealing with extreme weather events that highlight the presence of too much water, for example, hurricanes or inland flooding, or too little water due to drought and fire. This impacts both assets and liabilities for many product lines within an insurer and is a broad emerging risk. Here we'll cover some components to be aware of, but others will have to be revisited at a later time. Continuation of current climate trends will generate sea level rise that devastates coastal areas with permanent flooding, pushes salt water up major rivers like the Mississippi and the Thames, and strengthens hurricanes in areas where natural barriers are now underwater. Other challenges will interact with these trends even in my lifetime. Some concerns are well known. By the end of a recent college graduate's lifetime in about 2100, the southern third of Florida will be underwater. It is too late to change this outcome. A limestone base in its southeastern corner is porous, making it impossible to keep rising water out of Miami by building seawalls. Money can be thrown at the problem for a while, extending the period where people can live there, but very little land is more than a few inches above current sea level. So a 30 inch rise in the ocean level will overwhelm the area. Other regions have multiple perils to deal with. In the Virginia town of Norfolk, feedback loops make the situation worse. Both sea level rise and subsidence from ice age aftermath are ongoing challenges. Only New Orleans among cities is at greater risk in the US. High tides and storm surges regularly cause havoc on the local roads and airport runways, with El Nino years especially challenging. The world's largest naval base has to continually adjust infrastructure so piers function correctly. As of 2016, Norfolk's 46 centimeter sea level rise over the past 100 years could be broken down between the global rise in sea level, about half of that, subsidence, and collapsing aquifers due to groundwater withdrawal. Some water tables have fallen 200 feet since Europeans first arrived in the area. Subsidence where the ground is falling is offset by rising land much further north as land corrects distortions from the ice age. In addition, the, an impact crater from a meteor 35 million years ago at the south end of Chesapeake Bay pulls the surrounding land slowly toward it like a magnet. There are also impacts from the slowing Gulf Stream, moving a higher current closer to the coast in this region. Infrastructure has become outdated for this fast evolving environment, slowing the local economy. To build resiliency, 
Projects like storm sewer updates need to be coordinated between federal, state, and local governments. Many governmental agencies and armed services are also located here. The military coined the term threat multiplier based partly on their concerns about the Arctic area in their mission to, to maintain combat readiness. Coordination is key. If one group builds a larger levy, the flooding goes elsewhere. It is a closed system, a true zero-sum game, and a growing problem. Many of the suggested solutions are familiar. Rain gardens, updated building codes, buying out homeowners in a floodplain, moving infrastructure out of harm's way, and expanded wetlands. Hurricane Sandy showed the benefits of moving computers, power generators, and heating and cooling units above the ground floor. Other solutions are novel, such as pumping potable water into depleted aquifers to keep them from collapsing further. Not every water issue is on the coast. Farmers have been depleting inland aquifers as long as they have utilized central pivots. After less than 100 years, some parts of the Oglala aquifer are near empty with replenishment estimates of 1,000 years or more, all while entering an extended period of drought. The Colorado River Basin extends from Wyoming to Mexico. The scenic river no longer survives to the Gulf of California and water rights are a contentious issue. Some will say that the natural cycle has ebbed and flowed for millions of years. This is correct, but misses the point of today's challenges. The rate of change to the climate is happening faster than all but a few prior events. And those events were driven by volcanism with release of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and mass extinctions of most species. These are key risk metrics to track, such as how many species are going extinct and at what rate. The insurance industry can try to nudge the population in the right direction by charging sustainable premiums where damage is expected to grow, encourage building code strengthening, and improved public infrastructure. Covenants can be strengthened and coupon rates raised on fixed income investments. By steadily making those changes, it will make it easier to manage this risk by creating natural barriers and sustainable conditions. But there's no guarantee that these types of changes will be accepted by the public or regulator. Managing fresh water is a key challenge, both today and in the future. Are you challenged to meet your need for actuaries? Actual risk management can help. ARMS Data and Modeling Institute, or DMI, is a team of talented and experienced modeling actuaries working with an extensive bench of senior consultants. ARM will partner with you to shift all or part of your actuarial and modeling needs to the DMI at a significant cost savings without sacrificing integrity. Contact ARM today about how the DMI's modeling evaluation services can help position you and your company for tomorrow's challenges. Max, I found the discussion of that really interesting. Can I ask you to to, to go beyond what you were talking about uh, earlier and, and, and say, uh, talk, tell us about how inland freshwater lakes like the Great Lakes will be impacted? Are they expected to rise or fall as a result of, of climate change? Sure. Let's talk first about a, a couple of real basics. Three factors that impact lake levels would be precipitation, so so rain, runoff into lakes from that rain, and evaporation. So a warmer atmosphere is going to hold more moisture, so that's going to increase runoff and, and evaporation, as well as uh, have more precipitation. 
while it's not true everywhere, there's some places that'll have uh, greater droughts or, or lesser droughts. Overall, the inland lakes would be expected to rise due, due to these combined factors. Warmer lake temperatures would also cause the water to expand. When you think about that, the, uh, you know, anytime you have uh, a liquid that you get a little extra warmth in it, uh, it's going to take a, a larger volume to hold it. So both lakes and oceans would rise due to that factor. I believe the, the Great Lakes would be an excellent location for climate refugees to consider in, in the near term, at least, as, as people flee the coast. I think that'll be interesting to watch that play out. The Great Lakes already see volatility in, in lake levels beyond what, what I would have expected over the last 20 years. Uh, I grew up in that region and, and have seen it vary by, by well over five inches to levels where some docks are completely dry at times when, when the water level is low, as well as times when the water was high and it was overflowing some areas that had built walls for, for shipping and things like that. So this is an investment advice, Max, but uh, buy land in, in uh, Michigan and Wisconsin as a climate hedge. Yeah, I went to school in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and I think that would be a, a wonderful place. And, and I know people have talked about Hudson Bay as well, being a, an area that over time would, would become a, a very effective uh, industrial area as Northwest Passage you know, becomes open year round. Not necessarily good reasons for that happening, but you know, you 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 work with what you have. Moving on, uh, how do you think that water fits into research into climate change going forward? Well, I think it's going to be really important. Most of the research that's been done to date has has dealt with the atmosphere, so just just the air and and how it how it has warmed. You know, we recently saw Hurricane Otis quickly intensify in Mexico. Uh, because the, the water deeper down was warm and fed the storm system. But we don't have sensors to report below the initial surface temperatures. I, I think that's something that, that we'll see more of over time, but that will take time to get it set up. Melting ice on Greenland could change the, the salt density in that area and slow down the Gulf, Gulf Stream. That would drop temperatures materially across Europe and threaten food security in, in that region. And if that heat does not move from the Caribbean, then, then it seems likely that hurricanes in, in that region would have more energy to draw from, uh, making those, those Atlantic storms stronger. Projections on climate are, are going to improve as, as water research is emphasized, but it, it takes time. I mean, each, each one of the seven-year cycles of the IPCC, they make major improvements, whether it's to the models or to you know the data that, that goes into the models. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the next seven years brings. Yeah, those stories about the uh, changes in the Gulf Stream, its impact on, on Europe are, are quite scary. Uh, I think at least half the people in Europe live at a, at a level that is further north than most of the population in North America. The research so far has been kind of unclear. I mean, they've had some studies that have shown that it, it's weakening and other studies that show that it's not weakening. So, but if it, if it does, you know, weaken over time, that's going to be a big deal, like you say, to, um, because that's where, that's what makes the Scandinavian countries and even UK and, and, and even into Germany uh, livable uh, on, on a basis that we know it today. Let's move on to another part of the world. 
Can you tell us anything about uh, how changes in water flow out of the Himalaya mountains and uh, might affect the uh, hundreds of millions of Indians and Pakistanis who rely on that water? Yeah, I'm I'm really worried about those who rely on access to to fresh water from from mountain areas that that have uh, glaciers. The glaciers are melting. The springs that are high up in the in the mountains are are drying up, and, and these are areas that are receiving relatively more rain and less snow than in the past uh, as temperatures warm. So so the water leaves the region more quickly because there isn't the snowpack. The glaciers also help to define weather patterns. Uh, so as they retreat, the patterns will, will change. And, and this is a very complex system with albedo effects where sunlight is reflecting off of ice. And as the glaciers melt, then all of a sudden you, you have dark surfaces. And so it gets absorbed and, and provides a feedback loop for, for temperatures. We also see that there's, there's winds that flow over the ice pack and, and then cool those areas downhill from it uh, in the valleys of that area. So, you know, this region is built around the river system that forms in the mountains. And in many places, it's already, already polluted. And now the flow will likely become more intermittent in the future uh, since it won't be fed by, by that melting snowpack. So a lot of, lot of changes coming forward. Uh, and, and we need to be thinking about that in advance as opposed to just acting like we're surprised. Well, is there any upside to this? Is there any areas that are likely to getting more rainfall than in the re recent past? And I, I guess I'm thinking of more rainfall is good, but that's not always the case. Yeah, be careful what you what you ask for, because it's it's not so much that total global rainfall will change, although it'll likely increase slowly over time just because that higher atmospheric temperature holds more moisture. Um, but that extreme events of drought and heavy rain have become more likely. Uh, the weather patterns in the mountains will impact the areas near them uh, and inter interact with, with aquifer depletion. We're seeing that a lot in, in farming areas where the center pivot has, has pulled water up in, in large amounts. I mean, I believe the, the Norfolk, Virginia area, is the, the water table is about 200 feet below what it was when Europeans first arrived. Um, I mean, that's a big deal. And it's very complex, but it's going to vary by region. Uh, in general, areas that are dry will get drier, and areas that are wet will get get wetter. Let me turn around, Dave, and ask you a question. You know, how significant do you think that the insurance industry's capability to to nudge behavior through premium rate adjustments will how, how will that play out? Well, we all know the stories about, uh, you know, if, if you own a, a red car, your insurance rates will be higher uh, and, and, and things like that, that uh, the stories of the insurance industry, you know, reacting to micro signals that they're getting, you, you have to adopt some safety procedure because the insurance company requires it. But uh, I, I think the insurance industry's ability to to nudge in, in the uh the climate-related uh, areas is going to be—it's going to be intermittent. It, it, it's not going to be steady. That that uh, it won't be kind of what we would like it to see in our in our model modeling mind. That as we're aware of of trends going up, we 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 raise rates. Uh, and I, I think you can see the example of that in in Florida and California right now. You 
you've seen the news where some of the very largest carriers in the U.S. have left California and Florida. And, and the, the news reports, I, I think at least, get it wrong. They, they say that they're leaving because the claims are higher. Well, I, I guess that, that probably is right. They're leaving because the claims are higher. But it's not because the claims are higher. It's because both the claims are higher and in the rate regulation, they're not being allowed to charge appropriately for it. I, I, I think insurers are relatively indifferent to the level of claims as long as they can charge a premium that makes sense for the claims. I think that to the extent that you have some folks who are, are not willing to accept the future that uh, we're seeing with climate change and don't want that to, to happen, there'll be pressures on the regulators to, to not approve those, uh, those kind of increases. To, and, and so you, you, you see that. Uh, so that, that's going to limit the ability of the insurance industry to, to do that nudging behavior. Yeah, I think the, there is a little bit of, of movement, especially in the state of California, about beginning to, to allow insurers to include some of those expected losses as opposed to just historical losses. But it, it brings to mind that the, it's a political discussion. You know, the insurance commissioner is a, is a voted on position. So, you know, their incentive to stay in office is to, to do whatever they can to, to help the consumer. It's got to be a sustainable practice. So in general, though, Dave, I, I think I am more, more hopeful on, on the whole nudging process. I, I participated in a paper several years ago that argued for an insurer role to influence behavior uh, on climate. And, and in one instance, the city of Chicago was sued by a carrier because their, their drainage system had become inadequate uh, for, for rainfall, for getting the, the water out of the streets and, and to avoid flooding. Um, the suit was eventually dropped but it acted like a warning shot that that municipalities should should plan for the for the future and and do this in advance, uh, replacing sewer systems and and uh, storm runoff uh, rather than waiting until after some major event. All right. Well, let me let me throw out one more question, Max. And I was reading the other day about ghost forests uh, and and uh, interesting new idea for me at least. Uh, do you, do you know anything about that and how they relate to this topic? Yeah, ghost forest came up in, in one of the other uh, emerging risk topics that, that I looked at. Essentially, the, it's where forests, have, the trees have been killed by an incursion of, of salt water. So the salt kills the, the trees. Um, they're on coasts and typically are, are due to tsunamis. And where I ran across it before was uh, the one on the west coast of the U.S. Uh, due to the major subduction earthquake in the early 1800s. And, you know, the when we talked about it, a while back, that would be expected to happen again uh, with any subduction uh, earthquake, that there would be a tsunami that would you know, go along a coast and, and likely if there were coastal forests that it would impact that. But we also increasingly see those in places like New Jersey and other coastal areas as sea level rises and, and hurricanes and, and tides even go further inland. So as, as you get the salt water just, just coming in over the beach and along the coast, just that, that salt water getting in there causes uh, big problems. You can't just go in and replant those because the, the salt is, uh, is there now because the water's evaporated. For the most part, 
people have traditionally chosen to live in places where there is the right amount of water, not too much and not too little. Shifts in the availability of water is one of the most common drivers of collapse of ancient civilizations. We are forewarned and have the capabilities to shape our future to reduce the adverse impact of too much or too little water. Water is too fundamental to human existence. Let's make sure we heed the warnings in time to get this right. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Crossing Thin Ice, presented by Actuarial Risk Management. If you found it valuable, please like, subscribe, and share with your colleagues. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Now we want to tell you about ARM's ERM Advisory Services. Our ERM Advisory team, led by Dave Ingram and Max Rudolph, is available to provide a wide range of support to your enterprise risk management program. For example, we provide ERM training and education for insurer boards, executives, risk management staff, and general employees. The Crossing Thin Ice series of newsletters, webcasts, and podcasts, which you just listened to, are examples. A full range of ERM topics are available for presentation in person, live via webcast, or delivered as a recording for general ERM education or advanced training. And we can adapt our material to align with your existing or planned ERM approach. You can even mix and match, reserving us for a day or more with time split between education and risk discussions. We are happy to discuss your situation and how we might provide you with the help that you need to move forward drawn from our decades of experience working with insurer ERM programs.